0: I'm Bailey Parnell, and this is Let's Think This Through. Join me for drinks as I bring on guests for conversations that inspire, amuse, and challenge us, but in a fun and relaxing kind of way. Ultimately, it's to help us all learn and live a better, easier life. So let's think this through. Hello, everyone. I'm Bailey Parnell, and welcome back to Let's Think This Through. I've been thinking a lot about confidence recently about how people gain it, what is taught versus what is natural, nature versus nurture. And I was also thinking about how confidence is contagious in a way. I have so many stories of this in my career where a mentor or even just a friend saw possibilities for me that I didn't even see for myself. But because they said it to me so confidently, I feel like I absorbed some of that confidence. For example, I will always remember a conversation that I had with an older mentor of mine over coffee, uh, Laura Arabello, if you're listening. I had told her that one of my goals was that in a few years, I wanted to be named one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women by the Women's Executive Network. Pretty simply, I had known a few women who were on the list who I really looked up to and thought, I want that for myself too. And Laura looked at me and very confidently said, I think you can do that now. I don't think you should wait a few years. I think you should apply now. And when I left that coffee, I remember that I realized I was holding myself back. Why did I think that I had to wait? Like, why did I think that I didn't have enough, uh, that I hadn't done enough in my career yet, dare I say confidence in what I had done, but Laura's confidence, it wore off on me and I felt because she felt so confidently like I could go apply. On that wave, I actually did go apply that year and at 22 years old, I was named one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women. Now I take this with me in how I interact with people these days, what Laura did for me. I truly try to see the best version of them. And then I share my confidence in that vision of them with them. And often you can really see it light people up, but now let's think a little bit further. If confidence can be contagious, then it also presupposes that it can be nurtured and it can be learned because Laura didn't change my genetic code in that instance. She taught me a skill just by being her. And so when I was thinking about confidence, there was one man that came to mind, Dr. Ivan Joseph or Joe, as I like to call him. Ivan and I worked together nearly a decade ago at what is now called Toronto Metropolitan University. I was a student that transitioned to full-time work with the university Shortly after my undergrad graduation, but Dr. Joseph was the trailblazing athletic director at the time. Here, he led the university to a first time national championship, and then he did it again. He's had many accomplishments, but what I actually remember him for most was how he made me and my colleagues feel. Because Ivan was the kind of leader that we really resonated with. He inspired greatness by being great himself but also by wanting greatness for you. And you know what I mean, because you've probably had that boss where they actually want the best for you, so much so that even if it means that you're so good, you leave them and you no longer work there. That's Ivan. Since then, Ivan has had a TED talk on self-confidence, which by the way, has over 20 million views. And he's also authored a book titled, You've Got This, mastering the skill of self-confidence. So of course, as I was thinking about confidence, don't I run into Dr. Joseph at a party a few weeks ago. We had a great conversation and I just knew I had to invite him for a drink. So let's get into it. Welcome, Ivan. It is great to have you here.
1: Hello, my old friend. Good to see you again as well.
0: Now to kick things off on every episode, tell us what are we drinking today?
1: ah the drink of the caribbean people of choice it's called ting t-i-n-g i don't know if you can see that but yeah,
0: lift that up just a little bit front and center for everyone to see ting
1: sparkling grapefruit it's got a little little spicy flavor to it it's an amazing drink and whenever i'm just relaxing and what we call in the caribbean liming which means hanging <laughs> out this is the drink of choice
0: oh i'm so glad where are you? where did you grow up
1: uh, Guyana, South America.
0: Okay. Okay. Well then perfectly uh, perfect way to start it. Then I have brought what you might think is coffee, but actually on, on the very first episode of this podcast, um, you know, Hamza, my husband, he calls it, witch's brew because it is a coffee replacement that has chai and, um, mushrooms, and then I also, there's some powders in there, and he yeah. calls it the uh, the witch's brew.
1: I think I would have to agree with your partner and Hamza there yeah. they say, yes, that does seem an odd concoction.
0: Yeah, yeah. He said there's like children's teeth. I don't even know, <laughs> but I was like, what are you talking about, man? So... So then, how are you introducing yourself to the people these days? Because I know a lot about you, and they heard maybe a little bit in the intro. But what are you telling people these
1: days? You know, the, these days I tell them I'm a vice, a, currently a, a vice president at Wilfrid Laurier University, um, and a motivational speaker and a leader um, that helps folks achieve their dreams. Really, that's that's my world of space right now. I don't do into the you know the sports psychologist, the author, all those other credentials. Really, it's just short, tight, and sweet.
0: Well, we can get a little bit into those credentials if you want, everyone. Did you hear those little drops? He's a sports psychologist (laughs) and and also Dr. Ivan Joseph, who I first met when we worked together at Toronto Metropolitan University. And I actually went through a transition at that time because I started as a a mere undergraduate student and then uh, went full time with the organization after that. I knew who you are, but I don't know if you knew much about me back then.
1: You know, my recollection with you, about you, was that you were involved in student leadership. This is going back, and you had a real kind of specialty in the whole social media, because it was all still new then. How to leverage social media, how to gain followers, how to raise profile. And we used you for a very important role. I don't know if you remember that meeting that we had, me, you, and Keith Bach. That was our first official meeting. We brought you in to talk about how could we help make sure that the Maple Leaf Gardens project um, really elevated and escalated. And we wanted to get the right people in the room. We wanted to market our events. We wanted to raise the profile of our athletic department, which in turn would help raise the profile of our university. And for the record, you hit it out of the park. That's my first recollection. Is that yours?
0: Wow, I didn't even remember that.
1: Right, in the little corner room. That is
0: incredible. No, it's coming back to me now because for everyone listening, Ivan led the full transformation of what is the historic Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, Canada. And he turned this, this whole change over into what is now the Mattamy Athletic Center and the Athletic Center of the entire university. And apparently, I helped with the social media of that transition. Do you and, remember that? Uh, now I can remember it 100% because I remember putting together social marketing plans at the time. And you're right, it was so new. And we were like, I mean, I've, I've, uh, talked about this in other spaces, but not on the podcast yet. Um, so for people who don't know my full background, part of it was creating models for digital student engagement. Like how do right. we even use these tools in ways that are not just buy more things at Sephora, I don't know, like in marketing. And so that, that would have been such a wonderful example is how can we connect this to the community and, and use these tools to support us? But I mean, but, uh enough about me. I I talked a little bit in the intro about how you made us feel at the time. And I said, you know, you were one of those people that we knew was we felt was trailblazing because we could see all these amazing things happening over in athletics even though I didn't work in that building or in that technical department. So I didn't for everyone listening, I didn't technically work for Ivan, but we knew Ivan. And we wanted to work on projects with Ivan and with athletics. Because the, the leader that you were, I think it, it resonated. It made other people feel like they could be great. And I felt that very much being in your presence. So it's no surprise to me that the first project we worked on went really well.
1: Uh, that's, you know what, it's my superpower. Always finding secret, underutilized talent. And you were, you were a superstar. So I, I think I found you just when you were climbing into rock star status. So I got you when we could afford it. <laughs>
0: As, I don't know about that. I think I'm. Um, I don't know if I'm quite at rock star status yet. But uh, I am here with you, so that makes me feel like a rock star. How about that?
1: We'll take it. We'll take it.
0: <laughs> now, when I was, uh, of course, I know these versions of you. But when I was going to have you on the podcast, I was thinking, let me look up a little bit more. Let me see how other people are describing Ivan. And I saw that you've embraced titles like rebel and troublemaker. And I thought that was really interesting to see. And now I'm dying to know, like, how did you earn these titles? Take us back to the beginning. Why did you, why did people start calling you Rebel and Troublemaker?
1: You know, that's from a famous, um, you know, uh, what's it, Apple ad, right? Here's to the crazy ones, the Misfits, (laughs) the Rebels, the Troublemakers. I'm one of those people that, you know, when you're young and even as a 53-year-old, you don't have patience for the process, the bureaucracy. And so you do things just to get it done. And I'll give you an example. I remember one time that we couldn't get the water on our soccer field to the sprinkler to come on because you had to save it for the football program. You know, that was the marquee program. And I remember getting really frustrated about this and breaking into the sprinkling box system and turning on the water ourselves so much so that we would just do it. Now, now our field looks green, but unbeknownst to me, I set it to come on one day in the middle of the actual football game oh my god we got in trouble Me and the assistant coach i'm like what did you guys do i'm like but i was trying to build a world-class program you couldn't have a dry field people wouldn't want to come they wouldn't want to play on that and so i would just do things to get it done and that's carried forward to this day right there is i you know i remember when i said no to the job at tmu Right. People don't know this. Right? Mm, um, right. And they gave me more money. And I was like, no, no. And Sheldon, the president called me at home in Iowa, my little town of a thousand. And he mm-hmm. says, why won't you come? And I said, Sheldon, your athletic department doesn't have a single team with a winning record. No, they haven't made the playoffs. This is a place that is content with mediocrity. I said, what you're asking me to do can't be done unless you allow me to break a whole bunch of stupid rules. And his response was very, very interesting. He said, tell me what stupid rules are keeping you from doing your job, and I will help you break them down. That's when I knew we were aligned.
0: Wow. Okay. That is so interesting to hear that you declined at first, and in a way, you probably had a bunch of experience and wisdom to know that there are not all leaders not all leaders are like Sheldon Levy who were willing to say yeah i also think some of this stuff should change
1: absolutely i'll give you another example of a rule that we had you know we weren't allowed to have basketball players in the gym by themselves too much risk right mm-hmm. the lawyer said we had to always have staff in there and that just got so expensive so a single player couldn't go at 6 in the morning and shoot hoops Right. Right. And I'm like, come on, that like those kinds of rules that are just there for processes. There's different ways to manage risk. Right. Make sure they sign in, put a a check in so you know who's in there, put a camera in there to watch them. So if any damage happens, they can be accountable for it. We just had to think about different ways of doing things. And if we have that, that's, you know, on the other side, people say innovation. Innovation isn't just about technology. Innovation is about doing things better. And that allowed us to do things better.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's so much on the inside that you see. On the outside, we just see the show that gets put on, but there's all these small little pieces of red tape that that people like you need to cut through, or they're going to remain tape holding people down. I shared a very similar experience at the beginning of my career where I thought I had what was my perfect job at the time, and it was social marketing for tv shows so it was bell media which in canada has much music mtv and m3 and these kind of really big brands and at one point this was literally my dream job it was how do i blend my previous world of tv with this new world of social media and when i was there it was uh it was everything that didn't suit me, and now was clear to me wouldn't suit you is there was a lot of red tape, antiquated processes, and no one had any autonomy. And I remember at this point, I was very early 20s, and I was like, "What are you talking about that I have to send these designs over to the American MTV and get them back days later for a social media post for a story for a story that was done yesterday?" I know Photoshop. I can edit these for you. I know branding. I will do it to guidelines. I can have it to you in 10 minutes. No. So that stuff didn't compute with my brain and I left (laughs) clearly. But but you on the other hand, could you imagine if I had had a leader like you or like a Sheldon that said, you know what? Tell me the rules that aren't letting us do this better, faster, or cheaper.
1: Yeah. Yes. And that's about alignment, right? And I'm so glad you, like, that's just a great example. Because what happens is we end up going there, we become bitter and toxic, or we stay because we're afraid there's no nothing else. And then we don't achieve our potential. So kudos to you for having the courage to say, yeah, this is not for me. I can do better.
0: Well, I always thought about it as um, as a, an experience that I'm most grateful for in my career, which people might not expect. But I remember, even though I was working for the music and entertainment brands, I always thought an even better case version would have been doing social media for HBO, at the time my favorite network and what my uh, job could have been contributing to my favorite network. And it was kind of like a poetic thing of life where the day after I left that position, the job for social marketing at HBO goes up and I had had an email notification sent to me you know, had it been a year prior, I would have applied to it thinking it would have been the perfect job. But because I had had that experience, um, which was a termed position, I knew I knew instinctively, I was like, oh no, thank goodness. Thank goodness I had this experience or I would be committing myself to my first career move post-graduation.
1: Yeah, well done.
0: Yeah, But you know, for for you though, being called a troublemaker, There's some things that I think, and I see this with Hamza and I see this with you. What are the things that you were called a troublemaker for or a rebel before, but now are completely normal? And do you ever think to yourself, do you like, do you wonder if those people think about that now?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Okay. So do I. You know, I'll give you, I'll give you a great example, right? Um, you know. And when you get to a certain level and a certain status, you're supposed to just act a certain way, behave a certain way, mind your P's and Q's, right? You can't be out in the, out into the spaces with the people. you got to keep distance from people because you're the vice president, comes with a title and a status and a way of acting. And everybody everybody's like, that's immature of you. You're not having distinction. You're not protecting the office of leadership and all of this. But I'm telling you right now. What makes people, what engenders trust and makes people want to follow me is the fact that I'm in their spaces, that there isn't this air of pretense about who I am and what I'm about, that they feel like they can come to me. And it allows me to, I think, in my, be an authentic, genuine leadership person, because what happens is if they, we create this space and we don't go into the spaces and hang out and, be, and bring our genuine selves to the space, then we don't really get the true stories of how people are feeling or what the problems are or what the issues are. Um, it's probably one of the best things I've done. It was from, a, you know, mm-hmm. from an old mentor that said, have this ministry of presence, right? And he was, a, he was a church man. He just talked about always being in the spaces and not being there like, on a, like in this official capacity, but just hanging out. But I used to get a lot of trouble for that.
0: Wow. Like Okay, first off, Ministry of presence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, were they saying that this is how you should conduct your office of leadership, as in conduct your ministry?
1: Yes, right, right. So,
0: but but your but your uh, mentor was saying it should be a ministry of presence, as in be with the people.
1: Yeah, right. Engender trust and loyalty by being genuine.
0: I know to a lot of people listening, and I always use my family as a barometer because. My family has a very different career and even educational background and would be considered salt of the earth, hardworking people. To them, if I said, you know, that Ivan got in trouble for coming and talking to people and, and being in the spaces where he wasn't supposed to be just hanging out with this team, they would think that sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So explain to them, why, why would anyone have seen that as a bad thing? Like, you let's know, try and get into their mind space for a second.
1: Yeah, I think what it is really is, number one, you know, when you look at this, that we're all taught that leaders have to behave a certain way, that that there must be, a, a, you, you've got to keep people at arm's length and a distance in order to make the, the real hard decisions that you have to make. It compromises your ability to see things and do the hard decisions when you know This person's life story or this person has a family or this person's really needs this job like, okay, you can't then make a tough decision to lay somebody off or to create a tight budget cut. But the thing is, I think if you know these things, then you can come with people and they can create different solutions to a problem that might not be just so black and white. You know what? It might not be that we've got to cut this because we're over budget and we've got to limit this expense. It might be, let's have this conversation. Here's where we are. at. And I don't want to have to cut this. We need to figure a way to generate more revenue here and give us more opportunities that allow us to move forward. Because can you? Because this is the solution, which is to cut, but I need this different avenue. Can you come and help me here? Mm-hmm. I've, I know, and I'm not giving you a hypothetical. Those things are true. I have one time had to make a cut. Um, And I didn't want to make the cut because I knew how tough it was. And I came to this group of folks that I knew. I said, here's the situation. In nine months, this is going to be the outcome. We can delay this outcome or change this outcome if we can come together and figure a way to create X number of dollars that's sustainable. Not only did we do X number of dollars, Bailey, we did X times two.
0: Okay. So this is, I actually think, revolutionary because this is exactly the kind of leadership that... Hamza and I would talk about that many people don't think is possible because they've not seen it. So let's clarify here. You went to the people who you were maybe going to have to lay off in nine months and said, this is the situation. Help me through it. Help me help you. Yeah. Like this seems so obvious to me. Why is it not happening everywhere?
1: Well, because there's so many rules, right? There's so many union rules and HR rules and policies Mm -hmm. and processes that's, and, and like there's risk here, right? As soon as Mm -hmm. that happens, boom, right? This is going to happen, right? And so everybody's afraid and we always ask, we always act in a risk averse situation first. And this is the part of the problem, right? We haven't built relationships with people. We can't do this just... Mm -hmm right there. We have to have put our time on our capital and have a, um, a track record of behavior that says you matter. I care about you. I support you. Um, before we get to a situation where we've got that kind of trust that needs to be put forth from both parties.
0: Yeah, I would agree completely. I mean, it's, it's just how, how relationships are built, but I definitely hear what you're saying about there is absolutely a level of risk for the organization because, And I think even maybe even more so now you Mm -hmm. get a lot of leaders and higher up execs that are worried, oh, now this is going to be a news story. And all of these people who I'm asking their help for, it's going to turn up on social media and all this stuff, which, which is just like, someone's got to give here, you know, someone's got to give because there's going to be a risk every time. Amen. But it sounds like though, that you just have a very, I mean, this might seem obvious given your title and, and all the things that you do, but The way that you go about interacting with others seems like you integrate coaching into your daily interactions. Like it's not just for the the very formal athletes that you've coached on, say, a field. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. You know, when you ask me like what is, you know, how everybody has this clear sense of purpose, right? Like one of my guiding principles you'll hear me speak about if you've ever come to a talk is I am an educator first and foremost. And that means for me, like, I'm trying to always teach um, and coach mm-hmm. and develop people and, and instruct and inform. And so that's, that's where I get my joy from, um, is helping people grow and blossom to fulfill their potential. And that's the way I approach my leadership.
0: How do you think it comes out in your daily interactions? Like, maybe, let's say, like, with your teams or even with your friends? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I think there's a this guiding thing that's inside me. It's always, you know, can we make it better? Um, can we improve it, leave it better than we found it? So that's always in there. And so in a way, some people depends what side of the lens is. That guy's never happy. He's never content, mm. right? He's it's, it's never good enough, right? And so there's that element of it. It's like, oh, I think we can improve this. I think we can do this, right? I hope it also comes out with, man, that guy really just cares about us and wants the best for us. That guy's Man, don't, doesn't matter if you screwed up, just go talk to him about it, right? He'll help you get through this. Oh man, that was the best advice and counsel I ever got. If I have, a, if I'm stuck and I need a problem, I'm going to send somebody to this guy because he helps you see the problems and how to get to the solutions. That's how I hope people interpret it, not as a know it all, but as a person mm-hmm. who is genuinely interested in helping them make the best decision ever.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. I think about that. And if it comes out the other way, I just say, you know what? It's an occupational hazard
1: <laughs> <laughs> for, for you too. I think the people that know me really well, and this is it, right? You know, like there's always going to be noise around us, Bailey. There's people on the outside who don't know us and are like, ah, that guy doesn't know it all. And if we focus on that noise, that's the problem. It distracts us and it makes us make decisions that aren't always core to who we are because that's the noise we're focusing on. But if we focus on the people who really know us and they know where our genuine heart is and our genuine intent is, then we continue to live in that best possible place and do the behaviors and work that is really aligned with who we are.
0: Mm -hmm. When you talk about coaching your teams, um, I'm now here, we're talking kind of workplace settings. What is the biggest difference between coaching people like that who may not be expecting it and coaching an athlete on the field?
1: Yeah. When you're coaching an athlete on the field, you get to recruit them. You get to bring them in. They're aligned with your values. You're bringing them in. They're really, typically, the athlete that you bring in is usually, because we're building championship teams, they're the mm-hmm. best of their team. Every The very, very best people from every team, the very best player from this country, the very best player from this country, they're coming in. And so they're they are pretty aligned. They're pretty goal-driven. They're pretty outcome. You don't have to worry about what their single-minded purpose is. It's the pursuit of excellence, right? And they're willing. they they've, they've been used to this directional piece of really authoritative leadership. This is a, a very closed group of people. They've got these same characteristics for most part right? 95% of them. When you're coaching and leading a team, you're not always getting, I, God bless them all. They're not always the best people on every organization. You, you Sometimes you inherit half your team. You're able to recruit some, but for the most part, some people work this way. So they all have different values. I'm not a high performer in work. My high performer is my family, right? That's where I am. This is a job I'm doing to, to pay the bills, and you've got to try and convince people that the shared vision and the shared outcome, they all got to get on. And so every single one of them is more likely to have a different level of intrinsic or extrinsic motivation than your varsity athlete or your high-performing athlete. And so now we got to figure what that is and what that thing is that makes them go, right? What's that thing that brings out the best in them? What is it? And yes, that's in the athlete piece, but the, the variety is not as wide. And then, my goodness, man, leading a team in a work environment, who you can't go too quickly. Because if you go too quickly, you leave them behind. If you go too quickly, you turn people against you. If you go too quickly, you got Toxic Avengers.
0: Oh, right? wait. What is What are Toxic Avengers?
1: Oh, those are those people who are pretending like, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's good. Just, oh, my gosh. Right? So ah, like, I love it. I love it. It's all, yeah. wow.
0: Yes. Right. The gossips, the ones yes. that are fake, fake to your face.
1: Yes. I, and I, you know, I don't mind if you don't like what I'm doing. Like I love the people that will tell me and push and, oh man, I, you know, I would go into a meeting one time with a, you probably know him was a coach at, at, that at TMU. And always, always, I used to say, I feel like I got to put on armor every time I go into this meeting with you, but I, but at least I knew where that coach was coming from. It was okay, always right. like, you know what? I got to be prepared because this person's going to ask this, this, and this. And, as much as I disliked it, I will tell you to this very day, fifteen years later, that coach is still one of my close friends, right? We still have dinner and lunch together, even though it was hard to lead him, but the ones that were like the gossipers, mm-hmm. the ones that were that were silently trying to impede you, oh those are the ones that are the toxic avengers
0: yeah and and the toxic part is because it spreads I mean you don't it's like spreading in the background yes and it could have all been cleared up had someone been able to come 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 direct really yeah right?
1: just tell me what it is give me a chance to solve the
0: problem mhm 100% i mean i think a lot of that has to do with their confidence because i know we started today talking about confidence and clearly something there's there's something going on on that side that does not make them either feel confident enough in the conviction confident enough that you would understand that they could present their ideas in a way that would not be offensive i mean there's so many aspects of it. But I do know that confidence comes from many places and it can be born out of fire or flowers. Mm -hmm. But I said in the intro to this, you know, that, you know, does it come from nature or nurture? And I will say my bias before I ask you what you think is that of course it can be nurtured. I have been made confident by other people who were confident in me. And that was it. It wore off on me. So clearly there was a skill that I learned because they just acted as if. And like, where does your confidence come from?
1: Uh, first off, I loved your answer and I love the as if principle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my confidence comes from, honestly, to be to be truthful from you, my partner, right? Who has this unwavering belief in me, right? Unwavering, like- Polly. Yes. There was Precious a point- right? There was a point in my life where I flunked out of university. There was a point in my life where I didn't get the job. I like, what, what? Come on, man. Like, just like, and so it's part of my community. She's part of my community and my village. Uh, my confidence now comes from my partner and myself. I still have to work on it, right? But, you know, and you'll, you, you know, I still got to do my own self-talk and my affirmations and my confidence letter and all those things. But I don't, like, like you said, I don't think we're alone. There's a point about as if, but People help build you up. And if you're all alone, just, you know, kind of talking to yourself, it's hard. It wears, you're worn down. And so you need that community of support around you that has unwavering belief in your ability.
0: So just a little side note here. I really believe in the as if principle as well and acting from the place of the goal. And can you explain that to people?
1: Yeah. And so there's there's this um, there's this general principle I learned it way back when I was a young whippersnapper in undergrad the as if principle, and it and it it basically goes like this: act as if you belong, as if you are good enough, as if you are a champion. What you act as when you act as if you start to carry yourself differently, you start to dress differently, you start to speak differently. You know, my old boss told me, dress for the job you want. Not the job you have. Why? Classic. Right? Because again, you start to, when you dress for that job you want, you start to act as if you belong, as if that's where you're going. And when you put that in there, maybe the new term is manifesting. I don't know. You know, that was 30 years ago. Yeah, 30 years ago, it was as if, but that's the way I carry that principle forward. And I've always, always been a big believer in it.
0: I completely agree. And manifestation is definitely, it has like a lot of, uh, I suppose, different connotations in different circles, but I've always understood it as just this, acting from the place of the goal. And that's a good example that people know very well is dress for the job that you want. Mm-hmm. And all of this was supported. Have you read or seen uh, Dr. Amy Cuddy's TED Talk on power poses? Yes, Right, so it's a great exactly right. So it's a great example though of supported by not just us, but uh, you know, lots of research out there that when people did power poses or things that made them feel confident, it elicited different reactions from others. and that right. started to make them see themselves that way. So it was not you know fake it till you be- fake it till you make it. It was actually you can fake it until you become it. Like yes. you can how does a champion act? How does a leader act? If that's what you want, act as that person now, and that's how you're going to get the role. Yes. You know? But how much of, so if, if confidence can be nurtured and it can be a skill that can be gained, how much of it do you think is conditioned in childhood and how much of it can we get later?
1: Yeah. And this is where, um, I don't know if you've read Carol Dweck's growth mindset, right? I'm and- a fan. You know, and this is where that kind of comes in. So the role of parents and teachers and educators and young coaches, the role that they play in amplifying and, and um, the grit, the resilience, the confidence, you know, these words are very, these variables are very intertwined. They play a high, high level of, of, I'll say, support or detraction in these things. And so here's an example, right? You know, we can praise the heck out of our kids when they're young. And that will make them feel good and it'll build their confidence, but it doesn't necessarily build their grit if they haven't done great work or good work, right? If we need to save that praise Mm. for when people put in the work and the effort and they do their very best, then we're like, great job. And don't link that great job and praise to an outcome. Link link it to the behavior and the process. And I always talk about this, right? I'll give you two examples. If somebody does great work the night before and gets an A plus and you praise them, great job, great job. We haven't praised the process. We've praised the A that came from the night before. Instead, if somebody did great job, hard work, hard work for two weeks and got a C, we probably wouldn't give them any praise. My mm-hmm. God, you got a C. And we'd hold back our praise and like, well, there's no praise there because you got to see instead of saying, well, that's the best they did. They worked for two weeks. I love the effort you put in that. That was really good, hard work. Now we're growing somebody's confidence and grit and resilience because we're not tying it to the outcome. When my son was a young athlete um, and I had a bias because I was a varsity athlete of the year. I went to the States on a scholarship. I played on national teams, all this stuff. I really wanted to be great. I wanted my son to have that same experience. And he went from swimming lessons, to football, to judo, to karate, to tennis, like trampoline. Mm -hmm. We kept trying to find him something that where he'd have immediate success in it, because I wanted him to be confident. Mm -hmm. And I forgot about it. Confidence isn't about this immediate success. It's about knowing that when you put hard work in, success comes. Grit and resilience, praising the process, believing in your ability. We have to let our kids have some level of discomfort and trust their process to achieve their goals. And when that happens, that's really when we're helping them achieve their confidence, their grit, their resilience.
0: Well, I think that a similar theory could be applied to working with adults.
1: Yes. Do you think so? 100%. We're sometimes too quick to solve their problems, especially emerging leaders.
0: Mm -hmm. Ooh, good one. Yeah, very much so because It's like, let me just show you the way that I did it versus letting them struggle for a little bit. Hmm. So I know that people won't be able to replicate our careers or all the things that got us to be the way that we are today. But as someone who literally wrote the book on confidence, do you have maybe some exercises that everyday people can do to to integrate into their routines to build confidence? And I will note that I have already taken note of some things that you have said so you have noted that you do affirmations and mm. you've also i caught do a confidence journal yeah. as in like a confidence letter to yourself and the reason why i'm pulling these out is so that we can get some we'll have like a nice list of like five five or so things at the end and you say yeah. you put a good community of people who believe in you around you
1: yes yes those are great ones. So thank you. You know, oh, that means,
0: thank yourself. Those are from you.
1: <laughs> pair the confidence journal and the affirmation with like the thought stopping exercise, something that you, a trigger, you know, there's, we all have this negative tape that we play in ourselves, right? I don't know something that I don't like about myself or oh, my God, I'm never going to do this. Or I oh, can't God, I'm so fat in these pants. Like we, we have as, as humans, we are hard on ourselves, and so I want you your listeners to develop something that becomes automatic. A thought stopping exercise, hmm. right? In sports psych we call it centering. Some physical cue to disrupt that pattern. Oh,
0: that's, so that okay. you know to, this is interesting.
1: Yeah, so that you know to go to affirmation. You watch um, professional athletes, when they make a mistake, you'll see them point to the person that made the great pass. Because they're done. They're letting go of the mistake, right? Yeah, great pass. They're not like, "Oh my god, I should have got that." Oh, no, stop. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember it's like, oh, my God. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I looked different than everybody because I grew up in a white area. I used to want my lips to be smaller and my nose to be different and my hair to be different. Mm-hmm. Right. All of those things. Right. They, they are, are looking glass self. Right. How many times have we have we as especially if you're your listeners are women, how many negative things do women talk about in their body and their appearance, their hair, their look?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Stop it. That is a key one, right? So is
0: your thought stopper then the clap and the snap?
1: Yes. Mm. Yeah. You'll see me do this a lot. Okay. Right? Okay. And then you 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 move right to to the affirmation.
0: And explain affirmation to people.
1: Right? That strong statement, a positive statement that affirms who you are and what you're about. Right? Usually for, you know, a strong affirmation should be some behaviors that you have control over right? Some people like have affirmations, they make them wishes. I am a millionaire, right? Mm-hmm. But I want affirmations to be behaviors and actions that you have control over. So you'll hear mine. Nobody outworks me. I can mm-hmm. learn anything. And then this one, I am the captain of my ship and the master of my fate borrowed from Nelson mm-hmm. Mandela in that famous South African poem, which I can never remember the author of. But when things come hard, come on, you got this, right? right. Like These statements, you know, it's you've heard- Go ahead.
0: Oh, no, it just sounds like you're coaching yourself.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, another one I, that I do sometimes is when I get in front of the mirror at home, I'm like, yes. Like, I say my affirmations to myself. Ivan, you got this. <laughs> right? That's, that's a big one. You know, a big one for confidence with people, too, is sometimes people forget. And they, um, when they're trying something new, they try and take the whole animal, the whole animal at mm-hmm. once. And I say, folks, A, break up a complicated exercise into baby steps, into baby biteful morsels, right? What we call whole part whole. Here's the whole task. I'm going to break it down into small little parts, and I'm going to celebrate the heck out of these parts. Sometimes people are like, oh my God, I got to give this huge speech. I don't have confidence to do this speech. I don't have confidence. Break it down. It's not about giving the speech there. The first thing is you're going to write the first paragraph, right? That's it. And when you write the first paragraph, you practice that, dang it, I killed it, Mm -hmm. right? This was really good. Let me get some feedback. Yeah, okay, boom, right? You don't have to go zero to 100. And we forget on that journey, if we can set little dash uh, marks or little dashboard gauges that celebrate the process, it buoys us and it gives us the energy and the fuel to continue on that journey.
0: I was going to say, that does sound a lot like your... um you know, theory of building confidence through praising the process, except you are coaching yourself now and taking joy in different parts of the process. And Hums and I really also believe in small celebrations like this, and there's got to be some joy along the way, or why would you want to keep going? Yeah.
1: It gets tired being beat up all the time. And if it's too long in between, you need a little kind of little motivator to get you going, right? Ah, this will keep me going, this will keep me going. So I'm glad you guys do that as well.
0: Well, it's really funny sometimes. And I wonder if you can relate to this or or not. I mean, when you're an act as if person and you're really living from the place of the goal, um, So much so that some might call you delusional sometimes. Like I see a version of myself that I could describe and have conversations with and just like it doesn't doesn't make any sense, right? Outside of my head. But then when you get to those goals and you reach them and you are now the person that was in your head five years ago, sometimes it can feel like, oh, like this doesn't really feel as big as I thought it would. And it's not the arrival fallacy I'm talking about. I think it's more just that I have already been living as this person so that when I experience it, it is not this new fantastical experience. I was already living that way. The benefit of that is goal setting and achieving. But sometimes the downside is um, that you forget, hey, you know what? This is actually a really cool thing that we've just done, making this sale or um uh going speaking at this conference that you've always wanted to speak at or traveling somewhere you wanted to go like take a moment and have that small celebration for it. it has always been helpful for me to see how far we've come
1: yeah you know it's a great point and you you know you brought me up to a point where I remember when I won that first national championship and i remember just getting there is like is this it and there was almost like a bit of a letdown eh I was like, wow. And then it's like, is this what mean people mean? It's never about the destination. It's always about the journey. Is that what I they mean?
0: So. I think so. It
1: must be because, you know, we chase it, we chase it. We've built it up to this almost impossible thing and then you achieve it. And it's like, well, now what? And I think how much of that is about our internal personality though, right? Like high achievers, people that seek and pursue excellence, You know, there's this piece of letdown when you achieve it because now, okay, now what? Where do I go? I left my job at TMU because I had four or five things on that list. Win a million dollars, you know, for the team, department, get the national championship, increase the GPA, check, 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 check. Mm. And then I went in the next day, in the next year, and I was like, hmm. And I think that is not so much about the outcome as it is about who we are and how we're wired.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense to me because when you won that national championship, you were already a champion. You have already been living as a champion for years, like in your mind. Is that yes. fair?
1: No, it's for sure fair. And because, and it's, this is so interesting that you just said that because Bailey, I knew I was a champion because I recognized the game was a bounce or two. As long as I got there, it didn't matter, you know? And, and I'll share with you a different thing. It's like, I always wanted to be a university president, right? Your readers are going to probably learn that i just announced my retirement. And I'm like, whoa, you didn't get to... And I always wanted to be a university president. This fall, I got two headhunters approach me to apply for a job at a university presidents.
0: Yes, and you I, did.
1: And I said no to both. And it was interesting because as I've got here, i realized... That's not the job for me, but I am content with the fact that I knew I could have been a university president if I wanted. Other people have just recognized it by inviting me to apply. Now, I didn't get the job, but that doesn't matter. For me, just being considered says checkmark. I have now achieved that goal because I've been living and acting as others could see me as a president and, more importantly, as I can see me as a president mission complete
0: right that is wonderful and as you go into this new phase of your career one of the things i just feel and see for you is that you will be coaching university presidents Mm -hmm. i mean whatever that looks like they're going to want your guidance and you don't need to do the job to ensure that to the best of your ability that that job is done well you just need to give them your ideas and that's what you're going to do in the next phase of your career
1: right I, you know, I don't know where the next phase, but if that takes it there, you know what, I will, I'll be happy to engage it. For me, the next phase is really about creating teachable moments for people who really want to learn.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're going to have to explain that more (laughs) because, so this next phase like that you're embarking on, um, first off, you know, at this, at this point, many would consider retirement. And they would consider outright retirement as in like, I don't even know what that is, but (laughs) I mean, anymore, but let's just say you don't, you don't do any sort of work at all. But, um, but what motivated this decision to change into a new kind of career in a way? Yeah. And also tell, tell us all what it is. Like by the time this airs, you will be in full swing.
1: You know, I've been kind of for the last three years doing two jobs. I didn't realize I was doing two jobs, but As my speaking and workshop career and mentorship career has kind of elevated, I've been gone more and more for the office and a little bit of guilt, to be honest with you, spreading my message of confidence, grit, resilience, hope, optimism, right? Building high performing teams across the globe. And I've loved it and it doesn't feel like work for me. And it it got to a point where I had to choose. And to be honest with you, while as I've ascended here in the vice president role, the closer I got to president, as I previously mentioned, the less I like the role, mm. right? The more bureaucracy and unions and policies and processes. I'm not that guy. I am an educator first and foremost. And so my next career isn't about laying on the beach and doing nothing. It's about how do I write a new book to spread that message? How do I target my messages to people who really want to learn And what I mean by that is not somebody who wants me there because, oh, we need a racialized Black advisor on our panel. Mm -hmm. It will look good for everybody. But somebody who's like, I'm really interested in what you have to say. Can you come and help us? And really wants my feedback, not for the thing because they can say we've checked the box and stamped the paper because, no, we genuinely believe that you can make us better. And so I'm going to spend my time delivering and developing new materials partnering with people who want to share and develop workshops and and messages of hope, and hopefully, hopefully, really make a difference in the lives of new and, and emerging leaders out there. That's really where I want to spend my time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that you will. I mean, speaking, teaching, writing, mm-hmm. um, consulting, it really sounds like, it actually sounds like the extension of coaching, but only, only... In a way that thought leaders can do it, because you also have this other skill beyond coaching, which is communication, (laughs) like straight up communication skills, ability to connect with people in that way. And not every sports coach has that. And you've been able, it seems, to transition the skills that got you here to another realm.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for that kind compliment. I think, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up not just in sport. But really in student life, you know, and I think mm-hmm. student life and you, this is your world as well. Like the things that they teach you when you're a young student about how to deal with students, about thinking about the holistic development of people and the, and the student theory that comes there. Those life skills are transferable beyond the residence halls. They made me a better soccer coach. They made me a better director of athletics. They have made me a better C-suite executive. And, you know, for me, that was the formidable years of my development. And I'll take those skills to my grave because um, they, they've they been invaluable in my ascension in the roles of leadership.
0: I have gotten goosebumps when you said that. So it's clearly resonating in some way. And that's because I could not agree more about when we're just going to the undergrad years, how much of a role that my Involvement in the university and being a student leader and volunteering and doing all these things, um, working as a student staff, because you have to be on OSAT or um, for my non-Ontarian friends here, you have to be on student aid in order to be a student staff. And so but all of that involvement was absolutely instrumental in in who I am, how I think, my approach to things that would seem unrelated to student development and um, and. So that is also a thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is one of the benefits of going to university. You would think it's like because of all the things outside of the classroom. And sometimes they say, would you pay for that? And I say, I did three times. (laughs) and Yeah, I would pay for it because everything you see today is as a combination of what was in the classroom, but also what was outside of the classroom.
1: And we share that perspective wholeheartedly, Bailey. If I had to do it again, I wouldn't change a thing. Even failing out of university, right? All of like that drove me to that. study this. Oh, well, you know, there's this thing called the Padilla Expertise Model, right? Where people who come from underrepresented areas or who are not part of the social majority are not as connected to a university. I flunked out of university, Laurentian University, mm-hmm. right? My alma mater, I don't know if I can call it my alma mater if I only went there for a year. And it was a time of shame and embarrassment and just so much so that I didn't tell my parents, my immigrant parents who sacrificed everything to bring us to Canada. They didn't know I flunked out of university till they read it in the Toronto Star when I was 38 years old. Because how do you tell them? Thank you for the sacrifice, mom and dad. I have flitted it away. No, I was too embarrassed.
0: How did you get back?
1: Well, I worked at I went to school. I would come home at breaks. I pretended I went to university working at McDonald's. Wow. I hid it from them. Yeah, I was too embarrassed.
0: But how you did you know? then eventually actually get back into the university space? So
1: then I did all the appeals and I just said, you know what? I'm going to transfer. I, ne- I knew there I was too much of a party animal. Like just just too, I lack okay. maturity. Yeah. I would go to school one day you a semester. Too much liming? Oh, <laughs> too much. Oh, you paid attention. And so I just talked to an old coach of mine and said, hey, I remember that scholarship you gave me a couple of years ago? I'd like to come now. And so I was, like, I think, a 21-year-old freshman when I started all over. And I literally started all over again from scratch.
0: Wow. Well, it was obviously the right decision. But I uh, guess everything is in retrospect, you know?
1: Right. I was student body president. I was hall director. I met, married my wife there. I became, like, yeah, best experience of my life. A little town in Lamoni, Iowa, a university called Graceland University. It's claim to fame. Wow. Bruce Jenner, now known as Caitlyn Jenner, went there. So it was a big time school. Yeah.
0: And then you met your wife there, Polly, who you are now in this next phase going to be working with. Is that true?
1: Yes. So she's retired from her job as a social worker. And we're now going to pursue Ivan Joseph leadership to the full extent um, that we can. Hmm.
0: What motivated the decision for you all to work together? Because everyone listening met Hamza in episode one. They know that we met working together um, and still do on occasion.
1: You know, right from day one, it's not, you know, this is now just the official capacity of us working together. But if you look right from day one, I remember being in physics class or biology class and chemistry class and Polly would be like, let's go. I can't see the colors of the titration can you come? I'm colorblind. Tell me when it turns. (laughs) When I was stuck with my master, she's like, what's keeping you? I was like, I can't do the bio because I'm ADHD on all those dots and commas and brackets. I just Mm -hmm. couldn't get over the finish line. She's like, come on, I'll help you out. So she's always been my partner in crime, right? When we didn't, when our budget got cut and I was a soccer coach, we couldn't do preseason. Hey, me and my sisters will cook the meals for your team. And so I remember being young, Bailey, and thinking, I remember like, how does that wife get half of that husband, who's been the CEO of the company, get half his money? <laughs> He's the CEO. That doesn't. That's not fair. And then you get married and you have a partner, <laughs> and you recognize, my God, she probably earned three quarters of it. That's a. That's yeah. So yeah. No. As
0: as a wife, I can concur. Yeah. <laughs> but I can also right. say that Hamza with me, and I'm and I'm sure you with Polly as well it was also, it's also in reverse. Like I know what I do for him, but I also know what he does for me too.
1: Yeah. A good relationship should always be complementary, mm-hmm. Right. And there's series and times in the season where it's not always balanced, but over the course of your life, there's a mutual understanding that it always balances it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I like that principle of how, you know, a relationship like that is not always 50, 50, sometimes it's 60, 40, sometimes it's 70, 30, but then mm-hmm over the course of time, it'll, it'll balance out. So that's, I think, really good advice. Okay. Okay. Ivan or I, Joe, which I like to say it just flows, right? Dr. I, Joe. So in this uh, podcast, I'd like to do a few thought experiments, a few different segments in each episode. And the thought experiment I have for us today is where we get to think big and Perfect for someone like you. We get to break through all red tape of this thing called reality and just kind of go blue sky and think free. So, I want us to imagine if there's a parallel universe where everyone inherently possesses confidence and self belief, you know, if we succeed, everybody's confident. How do you think this world? would change? like how, how would, What would society look like? What do personal relationships look like in a world where everyone is confident?
1: Oh, that's a good one.
0: And I don't even know where you start, but that's a thought experiment for you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think there would be a lot more generosity in this world. Oh, right? really? When, and what I mean by that is when you are confident, you're more willing to share and engage and think about how do you make others better? Right? Because you're not worried about what's in it for you. You're not worried about hoarding something. You're willing to, you know, that you can get whatever you need. And so you're always thinking about others. You're, when you're confident in, in this, you don't care about what you look like. All this whole thing about making mm-hmm. sure that you're, you're marketing and your picture and your white shirt only, and your crispy and shave and, and the lady, like all of that mm-hmm. superficial stuff goes away. Right. And we start to lead from this place and being and becoming, meaning we're good about who we are and what we're about. You know, the last thing I'll say about this is that if this whole world was full of confident people, right, people who genuinely believed in themselves, then we would let go of this fear. Mm -hmm. Right. This fear of failure, this fear of what people think about us, this fear of not being good enough. And people would prescribe and chase after the things that were of genuine interest and magnets to them. And more people, I think, would live more happy and fulfilled lives.
0: I mean, I think so, too, that when you say that on the surface, more fulfilled lives. But I'm pulling this thread of is confidence at the, at the most extreme version of confidence. Are those people inherently altruistic? Do you think that they can look out? Why do you think they can look outward more?
1: So, and this is a, this thing about confidence and ego and arrogance, right? We kind of mistake this, right? Mm-hmm. Arrogance is when you're telling others, look how great I am. Look how good I am. Mm-hmm. Look, at, look at me. Yes, yes. Right? That's the arrogance and the ego. People dress like he's got the swagger. No, when you're confident, it's all internally driven. It's like, I really genuinely believe, right? That I, mm-hmm. And you're telling yourself, you're not needing to share that with others right? And so when you genuinely believe and have this sense of security about who you are and what you're about, then you don't need praise from other people. You don't need recognition from other people or people knowing that you're the smartest person in the room or the best looking dresser or the best thinker. Then you can truly be altruistic.
0: This is really good because this is like, I think I wouldn't have connected this dot before. But confidence seems like one of the tools to, follow me here, actually break down social hierarchies. Mm. And I think this is coming to mind because on the last episode, I was talking with Andrea Henry and we were talking about how my parents started in grocery stores and, um, and, she and how we don't like this phrase that like when people say all the way from the top of the CEO, all the way down to the janitorial staff and how that doesn't resonate with us. And it doesn't resonate because inherently you're putting the janitorial staff below the CEO as as a mm-hmm. as like in value. Now, the train of thought is going in the direction with with confidence of if everyone is feeling their most confident self. Then that CEO is inherently in a place of they don't feel that they need to be better than anyone else, right? And they, and that janitorial staff should be feeling ideally like this is the best thing, that they are the best at this and that they have done such a good job keeping everybody healthy and safe. And I think inherently there's like this leveling there and again, yeah. I'm not fully thought this through because this is the first time we're talking about this, but this is a thought experiment, right?
1: Yeah. Bailey, this is, the, you know what you just made me think of, right? Is hmm. this whole thought experiment that I've been going through because now I've announced my retirement and it's in the middle of February. I'm like, oh my God, you just quit just the first of February. Why? If you don't go to the end of the year, people are going to think that you got fired or you left for some reason. I'm no. like, I, I don't care, right? Yeah, yeah. But now you're going to go back and coach. It's going to look like you couldn't be a VP or that you couldn't handle it. I was like, No. I loved coaching. It gave me the greatest joy. I'm going to coach for free. Why? Because I knew that I could have been a president. I could have done this, (laughs) but I'm choosing this. But the only reason I got to be able to do that, because five or 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I would have felt like a failure. I didn't make it. I couldn't do it. But now, because I don't know if because I got those interviews or I got that request, I'm so content with who I am and what I'm about. I don't need the external validation of somebody to say, my God, you're amazing. Or I don't care if somebody's saying, ha ha ha, he couldn't make it, he went back. People are going to say that no matter what, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to choose to ignore it mm-hmm. because it doesn't impact me. So I like what you're saying about this. It's true. And I never thought about it the way you just wove it through there.
0: Well, me neither until just now. <laughs> but yeah. um uh... But there's like an, if it's like you have to do. I feel like I'm making the case for you live in real time. But in my head, I'm like, you have to do what you're going to do. Because in a world where everyone is confident, there's a social leveling. If I can be just as confident and secure in who I am as a woman, as you can be as a black man, we show up in the room differently. Yes. There's actually a different play to this. I mean, the thought experiment, I really think you could go on forever. Like, oh, if 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 I was listening and I'd want to ask questions like, you know, oh, what if someone is confident in their ability to be a jerk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, okay, we could go down every pathway like that. But if it's built over time, I I tend to think that the optimistic side would win out. Yeah. And now... I think it's also important that confidence here, confidence in my ability doesn't necessarily mean for you too, that you're, that you're kind of blindly ignoring the things that could go wrong. Yeah. I don't think so.
1: No. And confidence in your ability doesn't mean that you're going to have immediate success or long-term success. Mm -hmm. Right. A genuine belief in your ability does not mean you're going to be successful. Right. I'm a confidence. I was a confident varsity athlete. You don't see me being a professional right? Mm-hmm. I had to decide how to change that goal and that outcome to still be in the same space, which made me shift to coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes people elate and, and connect confidence with unwavering ability to achieve the goal. It's never, I'm not going to fail. Mm-hmm. No, it's, you, <laughs> you know, there's a level of interpretation and realistic um, perspectives that come in there as well.
0: Hmm. Wow. I mean, in, in, a, in a more confident world, what what would be true, but now on it actually really sounds like you're still on your personal confidence journey because all,
1: all the time, you,
0: of course, it makes sense. But I don't think no people think that when they look at someone who wrote the book and gave the TED talk on this. But those emails that you got to be offered um, presidency of university were pretty recently, and it oh, sounds really? like you're still on this journey. Like we're always going to be on it.
1: Yes for sure. And let's just be like, I just had criticism. You know, you saw my LinkedIn post. I, I wrote about that criticism that happened last fall um, mm-hmm. just about a month ago. And it causes you to have self doubt and waver. You know, this is the nature of it. We get Wait, into, what was because- the criticism? Oh my, I gosh. didn't see it. The criticism was I, um, well, I, I had to take down some, um, some signs that were um, about the war um, in the middle East. And some students mm-hmm. said, okay, I've targeted them. I'm Islamophobic. I was in another meeting and I made fun of a guy. I said, oh, here comes a guy and his hairline was matching mine. And somebody called into the president's office and said that was bullying and toxic, right? I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, right? Like, like this, these mm-hmm. things come. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I wrote about it. It was my no good, horrible, rotten day. I don't, I'm not Islamophobic. And I'm definitely not bullying and toxic, yeah. but I can't control how people see me, mm-hmm. right? Those mm-hmm. things happen. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, gosh, you think you know better, Ivan, than to make those kind of jokes. And the reality of it is, is like, you know, and this is me, I I can't be in control of your perception of my actions. I know genuinely where my heart and my intent was. And if Mm -hmm. I try and convince you others to the point where it makes me sick and toxic, then that's not good for me either. I remember Mm -hmm. because going up to that, to that faculty member and saying, hey, I'll call him Bob. Hey Bob, I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't my intent. I didn't mean that. And he's looking at me. He's like, "What are you talking about? You know. And his huh. mom is like, "I grew up with three. I grew up with three brothers. He said, "This is verbatim. I grew up with three brothers. Oh, so, Teasing sorry, is the cornerstone of any friendship.
0: This is um, when you made a joke about balding, right?
1: Yeah. And so yeah. you went to
0: that faculty member and was like, yeah. "Sorry. And they didn't even like register it.
1: it. Didn't even register, right? What? So this is the world we live in, though, right now. And I remember here, and I'm like, "You know what? if this is the world we live in, it's just a matter of time because here's the truth, Bailey. I am not the politically correct, always perfect person watching my p s and q's
0: i I am not sure everyone is, and I say that as someone fairly active in social justice, there has got to be grace for people who are well intentioned now don't don't like we can have a whole other podcast on and probably will, just given who's in my circles about." impact versus intention but yeah. impact matters yes intention also matters i can work with intention as an educator yeah. first which i completely relate to you i've sometimes had people say to me oh actually one person with a fixed mindset say like oh people stop learning after 30 and i'm like i would not have a job if people stopped learning after 30 no. i can work with intention you know yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that could take us down a whole other path for our next episode. And we still have one other segment. And this one other segment might be related to this. And this is called On Second Thought. Mm -hmm. So this one changes every episode. But looking back at your career or your personal journey, is there a decision or a belief that you initially felt very certain about, but you've actually since reconsidered or changed your perspective on? And what led to the shift in thinking?
1: Well... I've been, t- I've been talking about one this whole episode, really, which was the <laughs> university presidency one. But I'll talk yeah. about, I'll speak about another one, right? Which was, you know, I was certain, 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 certain that I was going to work till 65 years old, 75 years old. And, you know, that's, you know, that's what my Caribbean parents did. They worked really hard. They set us up. They, they put us in a better position than them, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the path because that's the path I knew. And then my dad died this past spring. He was 79 years old. Oh, sorry to hear. God bless his soul. And my dad is a very private man. So, you know, he's been battling cancer for three, four years. But, you know, great, great, great. Good job, good job. And all of a sudden, one day I show up and his stomach has got this fluid in it. I'm like, Dad, we better go to the hospital. And in less than 30 days, he's dead, right? Uh He didn't share with us. Boom, boom, boom. And he died with all this money in the bank. And he died working to the last day. And you know what? He died happy. That's who he wanted to be. But I see now my mom who's got all this money in the bank and as lonely as as you can be, right because her life partner and choice. And I'm like, man, I don't want to pursue a career and a livelihood so much that that like you know I'm like that's is it. That's all we've got. I want to live while I'm still able to do things that give me joy and excellence. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led to me thinking about retiring i'm like you if you're complaining at me i don't want to deal with that this no i want to do things while i'm still physically able and capable and so i'm not i never once bailey would have done what you do which is be an entrepreneur i'm like i'm now going to pursue entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. entrepreneurialism if that's the right word Mm -hmm. because i want the freedom that comes with it to be my own boss and make my own choices
0: I think you have been doing a version of it. I mean, these two jobs, the whole other job was entrepreneurial in nature. Just because yeah. you had a full-time job does not mean you were not engaged in entrepreneurial ventures. Yeah. And dare I go further, you were an intrapreneur if I've ever seen one. The idea of applying the same concepts of entrepreneurship within an existing organization. You were someone who literally was like, I see things that don't exist here. Literally new income streams, new ways of being, new ways of doing things, and then we're able to exercise it. So I just have no doubt that you'll be successful um, aiming those towards your own ends for a change.
1: Oh, It's so scary. And that's like, you know, like, what would you do if you weren't afraid? The choice I'm making <laughs> right now. So yes. So both of those things are things that I didn't see coming that changed my mind. You know, I, you know, I was pursuing president, pursuing it, pursuing mm-hmm. it. I got close to it. It was like Icarus with his wings to the sun. I'm like, Mm -hmm. nope, that's not for me. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. This is where, and I never saw, I never saw neither of those things coming.
0: But that's like how life is. You know, people get, we get stuck in our thinking, but things happen. They change um, how we understand the world. They change how we act and we can change. Now Mm -hmm. to end off, we're at our last little bit here, if you can believe it, because we've just been having the best conversation, but. We I end every episode with what's called train of thought, and every guest has to connect what we've talked about to what the last episode talked about, and this is a continuing train. So the first things first is, what would you say is a central theme or summary phrase of what we've talked about today?
1: All right, ooh, good one. I would say the central theme it would be, of course, Confidence is this unwavering belief in yourself, right? That okay. we have the ability mm-hmm. to develop over time.
0: Okay. So in any way that feels natural, I'm going to tell you what the theme is of the last episode. And as creatively as you can, you will, you, we have to connect the two thoughts. The, the theme of the last episode ended with her saying, what is intellectual property and should it be protected? So how do we connect what is intellectual property and should it be protected with confidence is unwavering belief in yourself? Because I have got some thoughts already. So this is crazy.
1: Right. So both of those things are inherently about you and who you are. Intellectual property is this thing that you possess, The skill. Confidence, again, is the same thing. And so if you have this unwavering ability in yourself and your ability, and these are your special gifts and your tasks, then what you have, this intellectual property, whether you put it out in the universe, whether you create it or whatever it is, it is yours. And you shouldn't let somebody else claim credit for it or take it away from you and put it as their calling stone because it belongs to you. And it is something that makes you unique and special. And when you get praised for this intellectual property, it will help grow your confidence, which will, again, blossom your career and lead, I think, to more inventions and innovations in the space.
0: Which is wild that that is what the last theme was, given what your next career is about to be, which is strictly intellectual property, if you think about it. I mean, it seems like a never-ending loop because... The more confidence you have, very likely, the more you, you are willing to put out ideas, which are intellectual property, books, be on a stage, all these things create intellectual property. And then that the, the, the kind of loop of being on there feeds the confidence that got you there in the first place. So it yeah. seems like a very natural connection to me.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That was I had to think on that one for a bit.
0: Well, that's what I like to do here on Let's Think This Through. And you have made it to the end, so you must be a good thinking buddy. So cheers to you for that one.
1: Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Cheers to you as well.
0: And is there any closing thought that you would like to leave people with before we go?
1: Uh, just this, right? During this holiday season, there's going to be lots of strife. Or I guess it's February for you folks, so it might be in the wintertime. But in this whole wintertime or holiday season... What happens is sometimes we all get worn down. We all get tired, right? The vitamin D isn't the same way, all that sort of stuff. I I like the word you used, Bailey, earlier, which was extend grace. Extend grace to yourself, importantly, right? When you make a mistake, when you just don't get it right, just remember, eh, nobody was built on perfection, right? Go back to your skills, whether it's your confidence letter, whether it's your self-talk, whether it's your affirmation, your thoughts stopping, your community, your tribe, whatever it is, and remember that hobbies, relationships, savoring, those things build that hope and optimism to help you during times of weariness and tiredness.
0: Well, that is beautiful. Well, thank you very much for joining me for a drink, Ivan. I look forward to seeing you IRL again soon.
1: Take care, my friend. All the best.